You're listening to And hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. It is episode 70 for Thursday, August the 26th, 2021. My name is Marvin Yu, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have professional culture editor Han Nguyen. Hey, Han. Hey, hey. Hey, uh, Jess Ju once again is missing our uh, weekly club discussions by taking an, another much needed vacation. She's off in the some island somewhere on the East Coast. Jamaica? What? I can't I was, remember. I was about now. to say Bahamas, but I think you're right. I think you're right. I think she's in Jamaica. Yes. <laughs> okay. But we just know I'm not there. So, yeah, we're here. Holding it down for the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, hopefully this recording. I don't know if, I mean, our listeners don't know this because this is inside baseball. But the last <laughs> few recordings have been extra cursed for this podcast. Um, either Jess forgets her microphone or and it doesn't work. Or Han, your recordings have been disappearing into thin air. Yeah. I mean, I also, I also sort of abuse my computer. So I would not be surprised <laughs> if my computer was uh rejecting me um maybe going on strike whatever it is um i'm still watching my recording right now um it's still going right yeah it's still going disappeared on us i see it right here hasn't been um it's like one of those tv shows where like everyone just disappears for 10 years yeah except it doesn't come back like (laughs) well there's manifest and then there's the uh the leftovers and then there's the returned there's so many. And then, of course, in the Marvel Universe, there is the the snap, the snapcher. <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, so far, they have not come back to me magically. So that's the difference. <laughs> Are you one of those people who never shuts down your computer? Yes, I'm sorry for whoever <laughs> this offends. Um, I do close my computer. Uh, and so therefore I do have to log back in, but that just means all of my things are still open. And that is why I do it. I mean, I get it. Sometimes when I'm about to go to sleep and I haven't finished my work, I'm like, hmm, I don't want to shut down. Yeah. You know, I feel like when I was in a physical office that is not my home, I shut down. <laughs> but then like here at home, it literally is just like snap it closed, do my other thing. You know, as long as the cats can't step on it, then I'm good. That's true until your computer has been on for like a month or two and is starting to die. Yeah. From over exhaustion. Yeah, I, it does. It does uh, get very hot when I do video chat sometimes. <laughs> um, I have stuck it in the freezer very briefly before just to cool it down very fast. Um, I'm sure that's also caused problems because freezers, of course, have moisture in it. Um uh, <laughs> well, anyway. I'm glad that uh, because of our technical difficulties, we've convinced you to restart your computer for the first time in months. Yay! Um, hopefully your laptop is now fully fed with its fully freed up RAM and memory <laughs> and all that. I also updated my Chrome. <laughs> I did all the things that maybe I should have been doing. Well, it's the end of another month, which means it's time once again for our monthly Asian American Entertainment News Roundup. Um, in a second, we call Do We Want This? But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture's been getting us through the week. Han, what's popping? Uh, so many things. Um, but I think what I chose is just another surprise, a rom-com um, <laughs> novel that I read. It is a YA one um, called A Fa Love Story. Yeah. Which, yeah, I was very excited to read it. And also, like, I was pleasantly surprised by it not i mean most rom-coms are going to be pleasant and fun um but there are many reasons why i liked it um it's written by lone le um and as you may have guessed it has to do with a pho restaurant but wait it's two pho restaurants it's warring pho restaurants and they're right across the street from each other um owned by different vietnamese families uh so it's a somewhat of a of a romeo and juliet um, love story where the two, the daughter and the uh, son, they're in, both in high school together. They met a while back when they were very young kids, but then even when they were kids, they were like torn apart from each other and said, you can't be friends. Um, <laughs> and when the girl's uh, parents moved their pho shop, like opened up the pho shop across the street, then it was on. So, like the real rivalry was on. And so like they each would talk bad about each other and say, you know, like insult their pho and like spread like tiny rumors about the other one and just a lot of bad gossip. And <laughs> the funny thing is it, it so reminds me of, 
how I mean, I don't know how other families are, but all of my family is super judgmental about people. <laughs> so um, they say things out their ass all the time uh, to the point where I kind of can't believe, you know, just believe a lot of what they say sometimes. Um, yeah. Uh, but what I really liked was um, two things. The food descriptions are excellent and in a w- and done in such a very logical and natural way where I do have to say, I mean, I'm picky about food descriptions because, you know, I used to be a food writer. I like food. I, I'm a writer myself. Um, and I think writing about food is a skill um, and one that like feels natural. So I don't know how many times I've read some descriptions, especially in uh, in novels where they're ta- describing foods that are not Anglo and they kind of over explain it. <laughs> um, whereas this one felt natural, like they in in many ways, they kind of just assumed you knew what they're talking about. But then they describe things that are peripheral to it, like, hey, you use, use the hoisin sauce in the pho or whatever to make it better and stuff like that. Where, But they didn't that say in itself has been the source of many an argument between my, my uh-huh. Vietnamese friends, like intraculturally, because I've heard people from both sides say this is the real way to do it. Oh, no, my my opinion <laughs> is this. It's like, I think it's McDonald's or is it Burger King? Have it your way. So that's what I always tell people when it comes to pho. Like you literally. That's they, a good way to live. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. great way to live, but it's unacceptable for some people because I, oh. I, 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 I remember specifically, I used to be a, a hoisin sauce in the broth person mm-hmm. until college where it was shamed out of me by my friends then who were like, no, that's, that's not, that's the, that's the gringo way to do it. That's what they, I mean, they say. that might be a regional thing. I don't know, but like I, it's always have it your way around me because <laughs> maybe because I'm also super picky and my, and my family knows that I'm not going to agree with them, whatever. So I never <laughs> use any hoisin sauce cause I don't want it sweet. I want it spicy. Oh. Um, and so I m- end up usually adding more spice and more of those jalapenos um, and usually I don't even eat the jalapenos if they're super hot. I just let them steep just in simmer. soup. Just, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really works. When I was a kid, I loved the super rare um, meat and I literally just dipped it and then like ate it like wow. almost super red. But yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> for me is so, so important. So I love that. But I, what I also liked was um, uh, the, two, the two characters, the guy is named Bao and then the girl is Lin. And um, Bao's parents, um, his mom also specializes in another Vietnamese dish that isn't mainstream to America. <laughs> and it was such a like blew my mind that they would actually talk about it. And it wasn't egg rolls. Um, so so I was actually kind of excited about that. And they and they described it in such a way that actually made me want to try it again because I've had it a few times in my life, but I don't love it. Which dish and was it? Beng Sao. That's it's, the crepe, right? Yeah, it's the crispy kind of pancake crepe that has a uh, turmeric in it, so it's like yellow. I know it's like loaded up with like bean sprouts. Yeah, bean right? sprouts and any other things that you want, and <laughs> and like I probably would want it with like more shrimp or more whatever. And so yeah. they make that at the um, summer rolls in Rosemead down the street from where well, I live. Well, yeah, and now I have to go try it there <laughs> because I have been twice. Two summer rolls just so I can get my fix. <laughs> I remember the first time I ordered it, I thought it was going to be an omelet. So I was a little disappointed mm, when yeah. it ended up being a little crispy. But then yeah. it was still good. I was like, oh, I really want to just need, eggy, yeah. you know? Yeah, you just needed to know what you're getting. Yeah. And I hear the way they described it is that it's great to have hot and crispy when it's like raining outside. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I see that now. And um, the reason why I think I love the descriptions in it is about is actually a fledgling writer and so he's describing the foods and he becomes sort of like a a uh fledgling food not food food critic i guess but um he's a prolific yelp reviewer well no the thing is he's he's lost he doesn't know what he wants to do in his life and so he he falls into like the journalism class and so he's assigned to uh go to these restaurants to figure out what are great first date places um, and he happens to be teamed up with Lynn, who is an amazing artist. And so she draws for the uh, draws illustrations. For yeah. This, so I, you know, I read this book a couple months ago when it first came out. And I, I love that it like this is something that a lot of white artists or a lot of white authors, especially Asian-American white authors do these days, which is there's like a checklist that you need to like 
Chekhov when you write Asian American <laughs> YA. But the way you do it is so different. But this one has everything. It has the family drama. It has mm-hmm. judgy parents and aunties. It has food. It has the rom-com tropes. But it also has struggling artists as children. For immigrants, yes. Yeah. Who, who are not, not living up to expectations. And what they do is they show the parents are different in how they approach it. Because actually Bao's parents seem to be pretty decent. Like, uh, yeah. not decent. I don't want to call the other parents <laughs> not decent. But just, they're cool with it. Whereas, you know, Lin's are hard, like, want her to be an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> so, the core of this book is also the beef between the families. And, yes. and the beef between the families isn't just because they have rival pho restaurants, but it carries back from the motherland, right? From, from yeah. the old country. It goes deep and it actually ties in with um, uh, the uh, different type of... I, story i guess like refugee slash whatever um old country story so um that yeah. i thought that was interesting um and 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 ties in with like loss also um that's something that like all of us who are the second generation of people who may have fled something kind of understand that there's a lot of loss in the um earlier gen- your parents generation that we don't talk about <laughs> um and that you hate to bring up too because I did that once inadvertently and caused my mom oh, to cry no. during a party. And and so you're like, holy shit, I don't want that to happen again. Oh, no. So, you, yeah. Um, the uh, the other thing I liked was I did listen to it as an audio book. I did um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was really so cool. Ryan, I think it's Doe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Is the guy who reads... Um, Bao's uh, chapters. And then Vivi Nguyen, our actress friend, who also does voiceovers and uh, she consulted on some things. Um, but so she did the uh, Lynn's chapters, which I very much, I think she was very good at that. Um, you can tell she's also a voice act- over actress. Yeah. I enjoyed listening to this one on audiobook because uh, <laughs> I can get the, the accurate pronunciations of yeah. all the Vietnamese. Cause they and, do well, the way that they approach it is they don't, translated when there's vietnamese it's spoken in vietnamese yeah and i thought that was interesting because i i feel like that is probably then true to the book mm-hmm. because whereas i've definitely read and listened to audiobooks that do both that they translate they say the english and the chinese or vietnamese or whatever it is that they're that they're explaining and this one she so artfully does it that she, what she does is like you know how we all do with our family like the mother speaks in Vietnamese and then you respond in English. So usually she lets the response kind of give the context clues yeah. for the Vietnamese part, which I thought was brilliant. So only every now and then has she slightly explained it, but most of the time she doesn't. It's um, a really cool. I mean, it's it's something that I wish more TV and film would have the guts to do, specifically like, like mainstream, not like A24 mm-hmm. stuff, which like they've they're, they're, they've already been there. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, it's it's some it's one. I think it's so well done that like I was like maybe I'll buy a hard copy so I can get this for <laughs> yeah. the future and model you know any sort of dialogue and things like that that I do after that. So anyway, yeah, uh, very good read. Uh, n- n- it's very PG. You are totally fine for those people who are not into the heavy sex scenes because they are <laughs> teenagers. We don't want to see that. Um, but, uh, and it, I thought it was actually very well done and smartly done. So, um, Marvin, let's pop in with you. All right. So, um, as people know, in addition to producing podcasts, I'm also a film festival programmer. I program for the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. I'm here in LA. And, um, because of that, I watch a lot of films, uh, watch a lot of screeners, especially things that are making their way through the, through the, um, festival circuit. And so this past week, I screened a film called Accepted, which um, premiered at Tribeca a couple, I think mm-hmm. a month ago or a couple weeks ago. I think it was recent, right? All the film festivals are back to back. So I think you're <laughs> right. Yeah. And so this was directed by Dan Chen. And it's a documentary about TM Landry, which is a um, college preparatory college in Louisiana that was in the news recently. Uh, but I didn't know anything about it. So going in, I thought this was just going to be like a documentary explaining how like this one private school that started in someone's kitchen became known as like the school that, um, do you remember back when there was like the TikTok videos of people getting ex- accepted into colleges? Oh yeah. This Horrible. was the originator <laughs> of those, of those videos. And it's basically like low income people of color getting accepted into Ivy leagues. Right. Okay. And this, the school has okay. like a 100% acceptance rate. 
but they mm-hmm. like graduate like eight to ten students a year. Oh. And so this is the second film I've watched this year about college admissions. Oh, yes. Um, but we while, did Try Harder. Yeah, Try Harder was the first one that premiered Sundance. But while Try Harder was mostly focused on the students, this is more focused on systemic issues. Um, and it's interesting because the first half of the film is about the school and like this guy who's just the type of guy that the guy who runs it, his name is um, Mike Landry and his wife. Um, they run the school and they're like, he's just the type of guy who I just, in real life, I just can't stand these days because he's <laughs> a, t- a total like, motivational speaker oh yeah i hate that you know the the type of person who can only speak as a in motivational speaker terms right yeah i despise motivational speak (laughs) it works for some people it doesn't work for me or it used to uh, right it it worked for me up until like until i didn't need it anymore you know you know what i it makes me angry like it 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 makes me angry when people tell me to smile it's kind of like (laughs) it's like you know what (laughs) power pauses thinking like Believe in yourself. I think yeah. that works on me until I realize what a sales pitch is, where I can yeah. identify things that you're doing that's trying to make me feel a certain way, you know? Yes, yes, yes. I agree. But then, like, about a third or halfway through this film, it takes a turn. So, for people who don't know, TM Landry has been in the news for basically admissions fraud and mm. um, emotional abuse and a lot of like, just like, there's a certain scene where this film kind of turns on a dime and goes from like profile to school that has like a lot of success sending low-income individuals, low-income students to Ivy League universities with full-ride scholarships to basically an indictment on like the college admissions process. So what happened is um, the school is under fire for the principal, Mike Landry, falsifying documents and kind of mm. basically... Um, embellishing the more quote-unquote low-incomeness of his students in their personal statements to get them accepted into Ivy League schools. And like through the investigation, you can find out like he's actually in contact with these admissions people and they're telling him what they're looking for in terms of like low-income people because they, you know, like these schools, they need to diversify their student bodies Mm -hmm. as well, right? So they say, these are the types of stories that we're looking for in our admissions Mm -hmm. process. And that in addition to his teaching method basically is... It's like toxic positivity Mm -hmm. type of thing where it's so like, it's basically a cult of personality around him. And if you don't do what he tells you to do, he'll like shame you. If if you don't score a certain way, he'll like shame you in front of everybody. Right. And the interesting thing is like, while the school was undergoing the scandal, was that the exact same time that the other college admission scandal was happening with like the Uh, rich parents, uh right? The um, like Aunt Becky and like- Uh, Felicia Lee Huffman. Yeah. Where like rich white people were paying this guy to get their kids into- into Ivy League schools. And yeah, it just becomes a story exploring like how broken the college admissions process is mm. um, and how people, because of how it's broken, people can take advantage and game it, both from like the rich side, which is just pay a lot of money, and mm-hmm. from the poor side, which is like to take advantage of like the white guilt. Um, you know how white guilt can sometimes manifest into like goodwill? Like, well, I feel yes. bad because we did this. Now, so now let's bring in some minorities so we can make mm-hmm. ourselves feel better, right? And how to capitalize on that. And it's really interesting because these are the things about college admissions that was in the background of Try Harder. Yeah, But they never really right. talked about, you know? So Yeah, they were focused mainly on just the students and like in the school, but not like going to the yeah, next like step. So yeah. How hard students are trying and like how mm-hmm. it affects them psychologically, but not like, like because it's right there, right? All these students who were perfectly qualified weren't getting into like even their safety schools, and yeah. we see that as messed up. But I didn't really think about the why until I watched this film. So it was a good companion piece as well to to try harder. It's it's like the older sequel. Like now that you watch <laughs> Try Harder, like you're ready for for the real like hard uh, lens on life. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. I started off kind of rolling my eyes at like just all like the you know positive thinking part of it, but then like when it made that turn, I was engaged, and so like, I'm interested in you know mm. learning more about the filmmaker, um, and like because he came in to to profile the school, and he was there as they were getting embroiled in the scandal. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. I might I might check it out. It's called Accepted, and it's um right now it's on its tour going around different film festivals. Um, so if there is a, is a local one that has it on their slate, uh, I'm pretty sure most film festivals are still um, mm-hmm. virtual. Yeah. So you can check it out. And it's probably going to end up on like 
PBS or one of those. Like, yeah, most of them end up yeah. somewhere you can stream it or watch it. So. Yeah, check it out. It's called Accepted. And man, it'll just make you feel so glad <laughs> that you're no longer worrying about college admissions. I didn't even bother with Ivy League. Then, yeah, that's you know, true. Yeah. <laughs> you're all screwed. But yeah, that'll do it for what's popping for this week. Uh, when we come back, let's take a look at the latest Asian American entertainment news for Do We Want This? Life gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It's time for our monthly Asian American News Roundup. In a segment we call Do We Want This? Where we talk about the latest news in Asian American entertainment and ask ourselves if we want this. Uh, since uh, Jess isn't here, uh, Han and I are going to be handling her part of the load, I guess. But um, let's get started. Our first story is um, Jimmy O. Yang and his two partners, Jessica Gao and Kang Chang, started a new production banner called Crab Club. And have been tapped to write the adaptation of the great Chinese art heist for Warner Brothers. This is the often mentioned Chinese art heist film um, on this podcast that has um, John M. Chu tapped as <laughs> its director. Do we want this? Well, yes. I mean, first of all, we've been waiting for this art heist film <laughs> for a while. I am excited every single time they tell us more about it. But like, come on already. Um, I am super excited that we have. Um, this writer's team of Jimmy O. Yang, Jessica Gao, and Ken Chang, probably three of the most like funniest Asian Americans in the industry right now. Jessica, Jessica Gao is doing amazing things. Isn't she also showrunner for um, She-Hulk? Uh, is she? I know she also came from... Um... She came from Rick and Morty, right? That's where she like got right. her... She won her right. Emmy at Rick and Morty. I don't know where she was yeah, before Yeah, she did that. Pickle Rick. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy O. Yang, of course, is the comedian turned actor um, who, you know, while you might not always agree with his acting um, choices, um, is always fun to have around. Me can't fault him for doing what he needs to do to, to get his credits in, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, um, first of all, you are right. Jessica Gao is doing She-Hulk writing. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, what I like about Jimmy O. Yang, and I, and I hate to say this because after he, he's, he ended... Um, his run on uh, Silicon Valley, that HBO show. Um, he's, I feel like he's been able to segue from the sort of typical, you know, sort of like nerdy guy to where he wasn't just a nerd, by the way, in Silicon Valley. I mean, he has a very specific niche where he plays um, the nerd who's also a dick. I mean, I think that's his like that's his, <laughs> right. But then, like in crazy, <laughs> yeah. But then in Crazy Rich Asians, he wasn't even a nerd. He was just a dick, and he was kind of a showy dick, and it was kind of interesting. And so I feel like he's been able to kind of put a twist on so many of these characters and make him his own. So yeah, I'm always excited. He, I, also, look, I follow him on Instagram, and then he cooks on Instagram, and then he also has this dog, and then his <laughs> his family is way into his dog, and so I don't know. He's just an enjoyable person too. Yeah. Um, I love also that they call their um, production banner Crab Club because I don't know if you know this, but no. Um, so I know this through my friend Andrew T, who's the host of Yo Is This Racist, also a writer in his own right. Um, him, Jimmy O'Yang, just, just a gal, and I guess Ken and some other people, they used to gather, I think, I don't know if it's once a week or once a month to go eat crab at a Chinese restaurant. And they called themselves the Crab Club. Oh. So when, <laughs> when it was announced that, like, because the headline for this article for other outlets was like Crab Club writing Chinese heist film. I, was, I thought it was really funny that they ended up just calling their, their group Crab Club. 
I love that. And I think that's actually what I love about when people make their own banners, because every now and then you can figure out why they called it something. Yeah. Um, or it's like an illustration is clearly something that's an inside joke. And sometimes when you find that out, it, it this one really works because also it's, it's catchy. Food. It's real catchy. It's the I, of the day. See, I remember because when I first heard about these crab dinners, I was like, man, I can go I can go for some crab dinner right now. Yeah. Can I be invited to this crab club, please? <laughs> you, me and Jess, we need to start um, Dim Sum Club. That's our club. Oh, my gosh. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> or, because we still have we still haven't done that. Yeah. Or Bonseo Club. Uh, we could just set, call it the SGV Club <laughs> and we can hit up all, all the places so we don't have yeah. to be confined to just one thing. But that's super awesome. I'm more and more excited about this one because now it looks like it's going to be a comedy, which art heist comedies. Yes. I'm all for that. Yes, please. Uh, Into it, I think art heists tend to be, well, except when they're like true crime, clearly, um, tend to have a a funny element to them anyway. So you might as well love it. Yeah. All right, Han, what's our next story? Okay. Along the lines of still with movies. Um, I'm going to, let's see, the Hollywood Reporter uh, says that Sterling K. Brown and Randall Park are teaming up for an action comedy at Amazon. Um, I think it's a movie. Let me double check. Uh, set up. Yeah, that's a movie. Okay, so Alex C., uh, he co-created the Hulu series Wu-Tang and American Saga, which is coming back for a second season already, uh, is going to be writing the script. So I think that'll make it fun. Uh, and Basically, okay, so Sterling K. Brown and Randa Parker are also going to be producing through their respective banners, um, which is great because that I also hope that means Randall Park might have a little bit of input into <laughs> <laughs> where it goes. But, you know, basically it's a buddy cop comedy. It's kind of like 48 Hours, uh, which if you may remember, Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte, but uh, this one is a little bit different. So there are two estranged childhood best friends. Um, who now find themselves on opposite sides of the law. Hmm. Oh. Who's going to be who? Yeah, interesting. So, but opposite sides of the law. I mean, I hope they like, I hope they subvert our expectations and make, Actually, and make Randall Park the criminal. Yes. However, it looks like they will have to team up because framed and on the run, the two must survive each other in order to clear their names. So maybe they were, they are, <laughs> simultaneously on the opposite side of i don't know that the wording of this is a little weird to me i just um, i i love the idea of Randall park in an action comedy yes and like as a principal actor because he's yes. always been on the sidelines of like the marvel series right he's jimmy woo who in the comics is a badass martial arts expert but in the mcu he's like the lovable and i guess competent cop yes yeah, yeah. I, I like him being in the lead for most things, um, but we really haven't seen him in an action movie like this before with Sterling K. Brown. Like, what a great combination. <laughs> also, I like that they're older because usually the buddy cop thing starts out with them fairly young and they only age up when it's like Will Smith still doing his thing. That's <laughs> you know? true. You rarely get like a buddy cop between two people of color, too, which right? is an right. interesting and I hate that saying interesting because it is, it is because it's there's there's a lot that you can know, mine ha- from there. It hasn't been done in quite a while because we had um, Rush Hour Rush does hour. not count. Rush Hour does no, not no, count. we can count it. We can count <laughs> it, it. but it but it, it that's also ancient, and um, it was a different sort of formula because it was a one's talk fast talking da 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 you know one's actiony, and this one is not going to be that. They're both on the run. Yeah. Um, so I mean, they're they're also both not like mm. not that Chris Tucker and J- Jackie Chan were caricatures, but the way that Hollywood used them sure. in yeah. the two thousands was very caricature-y, right? Whereas both Sterling K. Brown, I mean, he's Emmy Award winner Sterling K. Brown, um, and also Randall Park is just he's he's very versatile, extremely, and yeah. um, when especially when he has creative control, and um, furthermore, we we know this also because uh, producers. Also include Hugh Ho and Michael Galampo. So we definitely have some Asians still making decisions also behind the scenes in addition yeah. to Randall Park. It's a solid crew. Um, the talent is there. I'm excited to, you know, I'm sure when the trailer comes out, it'll be all over Twitter. We'll, we'll be in love. Yeah. So, yes, <laughs> I want this. Yes, I want this as well. All right. What's the next one? 
All right. This is something that I didn't know was happening. And I'm not sure. Well, okay. So there's a new, I guess, spinoff of How I Met Your Mother, the hit CBS um, TV show that um, lasted from, like, I think the late 2000s to the early 2010s. They're making a new one starring Hilary Duff that also stars two Asians. Two? Not just one. <laughs> Tian Tran and Suraj Sharma. Um, Tian Tran was a writer on both seasons of Showtime's Work in Progress. Um, and was also seen in Netflix's Space Force. And Suraj Sharma was, I think he was the lead in the short-lived CBS series, um, God Messaged Me. Oh, uh, it was, it, no, it was God Friended Me. God Friended Me, yeah. <laughs> it's also um, co-stars Francisca Riza. So they have like, it, they have a pretty, like, it's, they've learned their lessons from How I Met Your Mother, in which, you know, New York City should be more, uh, more diverse. But it follows the same trappings. An older Hillary Duff is telling their her children how she met their father. Um, so do we want this? So part of me kind of wants this. Okay, first of all, all of those Asians sound great. Um, and, and a different maybe picture of New York looks great. But I also kind of want this because I'm super curious. This project has been attempted to get off the ground for so long that it also used to be known as how I met your dad starring <laughs> someone else. And, um, and so here's the thing among maybe other people do it too, but among TV writers, uh, we called how I met your mother Himium because it was mm. easier just to write. And so we were like, what is this Himyid? I don't like that. So now it's him. Yif. Him. Yif. Uh, so, him rolls off the tongue a little, little bit better. Than yes. Him-yid. Yes, I agree. And so I also, Hilary Duff may not be my favorite actress as far as I don't think she acts very well, but she is actually trying to be a good person. So, um, and I've, I've talked <laughs> to her is, a few that times. That is a plus. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, she, I think she also just got COVID, by the way. Um, oh, no. <laughs> that's just an FYI, unrelated to anything. Um, but yeah, and so I, I, I'm very curious about this getting off the ground and whether or not it matters that this is a spinoff or, you know, of Himyum. I mean, so I, I think I'm, I'm not sure if I do want this. <laughs> Here's the thing, like how I met your mother famously with its landing, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how I met your mother to me was like what friends was to my older cousins. It was like mm. the bunch of friends in their late twenties in New York show when i was in my late 20s so i definitely related a lot to the show and i followed the show from season one to the very end so like i was there when my heart was broken when they whipped that <laughs> ending yeah because i mean we, we don't have to go into how i met your mother discourse those middle seasons like three through four or five were a mess but the first two still hold up pretty well i think well you'll see this is what maybe why i feel differently i think i kind of you know, left after season two, uh, stopped watching it. And I, I always knew who the characters were. So I was able to like edit stories. Yeah. And do that. I mean, mm-hmm. it occurred during the time when CBS took over NBC as like the comedy giant in the late 2000s. Yeah. Right? It had um, Two and a Half Men. It had all the Big Chuck Bang Floors. Theory, yeah. How I Met Your Mother. So like, but all three of those shows also had similar things that annoyed me, which is they focused on the one breakout character. And suddenly the show was about the breakout mm-hmm. character, which for How I Met Your Mother was Barney, Barney. who yeah. is probably the aspect of the show that aged the least well. Oh, yeah, yeah. For <laughs> right? sure. For um, sure. Because he's like the pickup artist. He's a pickup artist. That's, this, that's his whole character. Yeah. And so maybe this is also why I want to see this is I I am very curious if they can fix their flaws, those flaws. Yeah. Um, so I mean, because step one yeah. is a more diverse cast is always a plus. Yeah. You know? And and then what the the sort of nice feelings we have from the first two seasons, I kind of maybe it's that's what I miss um, is to kind of have that again. There's there are only a few ensemble comedies that I like anymore. So maybe I just kind of miss that. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe I mean, it won't happen again. <laughs> I'm just they were so close to if, if they just end that show 10 minutes earlier. <laughs> don't show us anything past like the late title right. card. That would have been the perfect ending. But then the, the last they had to add that one last thing that just ruined, basically invalidated the entire, the entire last season. I I, I think we're gonna. I think I did a list somewhere <laughs> of the worst finales. <laughs> it's just 
yeah, that was on if they, it. If they had just ended it ten minutes before the actual end, that's why. If I ever rewatched that last episode, I will stop it ten minutes before. I don't know why you would wa- rewatch that season. Like I, I, I feel like if you know the ending, then you can't watch it. <laughs> it's a good. It was a pretty good season. They had actual character growth, and mm. we're not getting into this because I will go on because <laughs> okay, I was, okay, okay. I was very, very angry. But yeah, so we'll see. You know, because Hillary Duff is around my age so i wonder mm. if this show instead of being for 20 somethings is going to be for 30 somethings which would also be nice um yeah. hmm. i don't know okay. all right what's next uh so of course i have to do a rom-com <laughs> um and of course because it's a rom-com it's mindy kaling um mm. so she's yes. been having a pretty good run with rom-coms yeah uh look while it wasn't universally beloved, um, both Jess and I really liked her Four Weddings and a Funeral um, adapta- series adaptation. Over well, that's just because they had hot dudes in it, though. That, but I also <laughs> liked it. And then um, Never Have I Ever, mm, Going Strong, uh, renewed for a third season. By the <laughs> way, that's an extra little, do we want this? And yes, we do. Um, but so she and Amazon Studios are adapting a novel called Hanukkah Carries On, written by Ozma Jalaluddin, um, is being in, uh, adapted. And so basically, if, you, if you're like me, maybe you do, um, you know a lot of classic films, including The Shop Around the Corner. Ernst Lubitsch classic, um, the original starred Jimmy Stewart, um, and I forgot the actress's name, um, and then that was redone as The Shop Around the Corner um, with Judy Garland in it, um, and then it was redone again as You Got Mail uh, with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. So this is a, an oft-adapted sort of story. This is a Muslim spin on it. So already I'm down because I've been fascinated by that story in all its forms um, throughout the, the decades. So, uh, so basically, this is two competing halal shops. Uh, Hannah's family owns a restaurant called The Three Sisters in the Golden Crescent neighborhood of Toronto. So also we're in Canada. Um, <laughs> its business is threatened when a more commercial fusion-based eatery moves in down the street. The catch is that Hannah and the owner of the other restaurant Aiden have an instant romantic connection. Um, so, yes. I feel like I've seen this movie before. But that's what I'm saying. It's, it is a spin off of that. So, have you seen mm. You've Got Mail? I have not. Oh, actually, you know, I probably have. But I just don't remember it. So, here's the thing because this, the original story dates back from whatever, um, it has been rom com fodder. In very uh, anemic ways. <laughs> so they definitely created like two rival whatevers. And one is like old school, like bookshop. And one is, and that's actually what You've Got Mail was. An old school bookshop. And then a big, uh, like a um, Barnes and Noble type thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, they're just doing it with halal shops. Do you want this, Marvin? You know, I do. Because even though I did make that facetious joke about how I've seen this film before, I'm always down when I watch it again with people of color in the center of it. Um, because I think that is what we've said a lot about how the rom-com genre has, it gets stale every once in a while, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the Hallmark movie is such a cliche. Yeah. But like we saw it last year when you add any person of color to one of these movies and instantly it becomes so much better. Yeah, um, and it's because I, as as people insist, it, it is very false that things are colorblind. When yeah. you add a person of color, it actually does affect a story if you pay attention the right way, you know. And, and so, yeah. <laughs> and there is no better ubiquitous Asian American story than fusion versus traditional, right? Oh, because that is yeah. just yeah, that is that is like every other coming of age Asian American story. Yeah, and and it's a, it's a conversation I constantly have with all food when it comes to Asian food because it's like people are like, well, this isn't like uh, true authentic pho, and I'm like, yeah, but it also allows me to put X, Y, and Z in it that I really enjoy. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I'm fine with fusion, but I also think that it needs to acknowledge that it is fusion and blah blah blah. blah. Like, yeah, all the things, I, yeah, I need the story of how this came to be. Right, it can't just be oh we. 
we visited Asia and we decided and we to bring back it. and elevate yeah. kanji. Right, exactly. <laughs> Boy, I, by the way, I sneaked in kanji queen commentary in one of my uh, my writer's stories. And I was very happy about that. Nice. Um, what was the yeah. most recent one? It was dumplings. Oh, the book about dumplings. We, we don't need to get into it. it but yeah, it happens yeah. every day. <laughs> yes, every day. And so I think it's very interesting because the com the conversation about authenticity and food when we are Americans and of course American things are a fusion of so many different cultures um it's like if you want to talk about like speaking American that's not even just English so like yeah. hello um so yeah I I'm very interested in this they also seem to have a lot of other people behind the scenes that will make it um I think Tara Jahani is writing the script so we we're gonna have some a pretty good team behind it yeah I believe in Mindy Kaling she has done no wrong like everything I'm, I'm sure if i watched four weddings and the funeral i would love it because i've loved everything else she's done yeah i think everything after mindy project actually like mindy project was cute but it definitely ran on too long and she had to uh the, her formula got so stale that she kept like breaking people apart and so the story got weirder and weirder and weirder in order to maintain the uh tension romantic tension uh whereas i think she ended things just the right way with like for weddings um and then late night of course was behind the scenes and uh, yeah. of like late night politics so yeah i think ever since then like she's gotten like way more like assured and is picking just great projects i also cannot wait for the casting for this <laughs> like yeah. jess and i are gonna be like drooly <laughs> oh man who's gonna play hot chef <sighs> if they are even a chef maybe they're like just front of the house who knows <laughs> but anyway yeah. it's fine they'll, they'll also have family members all right. Uh, next up, um, more casting news. So I think we've talked about Adele Lim's upcoming R-rated comedy um, before on this podcast. Um, Adele Lim, of course, is the co-writer of Crazy Rich Asians, probably the reason that movie was such a smash hit, and probably also the reason we haven't heard anything from that project ever since she left it because of contract disputes. She is a veteran writer who is now making her directorial debut on a R-rated comedy produced by Lionsgate and Point Grey Pictures, with a screenplay written by Cherry Cheva Pravadamrong, um, who used to write for Family Guy, um, and Teresa Xiao, um, who writes for Aquafina is Nora from Queens. And it's about a group of Asian-American women who take a trip to Asia to find one of their group's birth mops. So it's like a birth search trip. Um, so kind of a spin on the bridesmaids formula, but something that's like specifically like Asian-American adoptee experience. Um, so there's been a couple casting announcements. The first is Good Trouble star Sherry Cola is joining the cast, which is great. Um, Love Sherry Cola. Yeah. And also Stephanie Sue. Stephanie Sue also appeared in series including The Path on Hulu, Aquafina's North from Queens, mm. Unbreakable with Kimmy Schmidt. And she's going to be featured in the upcoming season of The Marvelous Miss Maisel as mm. a love interest to um, uh, Midge's um, ex-husband, I think. Oh. <laughs> it's like, why? Yeah. Do we want this? I mean, look, the R-rated part of it, yes, um, makes me very interested. But I love Sherry Cola. I think she's so funny, but also she deserves good things. Um, yeah, but I am also curious. It's like it sounds like a great concept. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, it sounds like a spin on the girls trip formula, but mm -hmm. like with something that is, I mean, birth searches happen, especially for adoptees who can, you know, try to trace their birth parents. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not, but it's not something that we've seen mm -mm. in film before. And I think combining that with like the girls trip comedy formula. Yeah. It'll be interesting because it definitely has the potential to be like very funny, but also very <laughs> emotional and meaningful. emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the it's... same time. Um, I love this for Sherry Cola because I feel like this is like, like she's always been good at what she's been given. Mm -hmm. But like, how, like to see her in a starring role will be pretty yes. cool. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I'm all for it. I want it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm excited to see Adele Lim do her thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Adele, I'm very supportive of her being just keep on screenwriting. Like that's what we need is behind <laughs> the scenes. Like for all the positions, if you want to be a director... You want to do whatever the things, be the storyteller. And so I absolutely uh, support. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure it's it's R-rated, so it's going to 
maybe get a little nasty. So it's always interesting to see well, where the, that uh, goes with these movies. The 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 girl girl the woman centric uh comedies that are R rated have been some of the best ones. I think, of course, you were talking about bridesmaids, um, but. I think for the longest time, they didn't think that women could be raunchy or something. <laughs> Isn't it their humor? Um, so I also support this. <laughs> it's because women's raunchy humor is so uncomfortable for us men. You know? <laughs> <laughs> who wants to see that? We do. That's who. That's the explanation. Jess and I will watch it. <laughs> All right. All right, Han. What's our last story? Okay. So if you realize that we uh, have been waiting for any sort of snippet of information for Cowboy Bebop, uh, we finally, finally, finally got some great first look photos as a Monday. And it wasn't just like one photo. It was many photos. So uh, as we know, John Cho is Spike Spiegel. Uh, holy crap. The photo they got of him, like his suit, it's not like a double breasted suit, but it's something like there's no buttons and it's like a an asymmetrical closure and he rolled up his sleeves just, uh, and he has headphones on and like that's just one photo. And then there's a photo where he's walking. Very good photo. Um, one where he's like like perched on a couch. Great photo. So that's actually three photos of John Cho. So we also have um, among these, we have the other character, Jet Black, played by Mustafa Shakir. And then Faye Valentine, played by Daniela uh, Pineda. Um, and Partly, people were uh, a lot of guys are upset because Faye's costume is covering her up more than in the anime. So are they really? Be, uh, just be aware that real women need real clothing to wear. So <laughs> be aware. But also, we could get a first look at Ayn. They're walking down an alley with Ayn, the corgi. Uh, so that is also great. Anyway, um, do we want this? I'm also, yes. <laughs> but the pictures look pretty cool. They look very um it looks like they're going for a one-on-one stylistic mm. um at least costume design wise adaptation from the original anime series. Um I don't know if you've watched the original anime series Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. Um long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's groundbreaking um series by um, Shinichiro Watanabe. Um you know, looking at these pictures you can just hear the Yoko Kano soundtrack playing in your head. I'm still not sure I want this adaptation because I, yeah. like, I don't know, like I still don't know. I don't have any details of what they're doing with it. Are they adapting the series itself or are they doing something new with it? Right. Because it's a, yeah, it's a limited series. So yeah. well, because the original do... anime series was just, it's perfect as is. It's one <laughs> of those things that probably didn't need a live action adaptation. And if they just do like an adaptation of the anime series one-to-one, I don't know, like, I'm sure it'll be cool, but I don't know if I, that's something that I want, you know? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think this is the the classic discussion of do and does anything that's good and animated <laughs> need a live action remake? And most people would fall on the side of no. Um, yeah. I, I watched it so, so long ago that it's kind of not, doesn't have that place in my memory and heart. Um, I just have sort of vague notions, <laughs> you know, and images. I mean, in we my should head. we should do a rewatch. Yeah, actually, that's because... what I was thinking. It, it comes. So the other thing we got in addition to photos is a uh, premiere date, which is November nineteenth. So now we have time. We can do a countdown. Yeah, man. But yeah, it it could be great, but it also could not be. It's, it's, it's the same type of. Um, I don't even think it's rep sweats. I think it's just. No, no, no! It's something I beloved. Like this, yeah, this yeah. is more akin to like I was a big fan. And so I hope they don't fuck it up. Right? Yeah. What what I would like is uh, not a great <laughs> comparison at all, but like something beloved. Like, okay, I liked Anna Green Gables. And when it got adapted the first time, or or it's been adapted a million times, but one of the 80s adaptations a lot of people think of as the ultimate adaptation. And so when right. Netflix also did their adaptation, you're just like, what the fuck is this? And they're also going to like make it like uh woke and then they have like gay characters and all this other stuff going on in there and then people of color and but it's still set in Edwardian times. So <laughs> like a lot of people were against it. And and I think what for me ended up being was it ended up being a good series on its own merits. It's not exactly the Anna Green Gables, 
but I also feel like it's alternate universe one that actually still works. I don't think it tarnished it at all, but I do see if it were a bad series, maybe it would tarnish it in my mind, the original in my mind. So I think that's kind of your fear is like, you just don't want this bad thing to tarnish the old thing. Well, I mean, it's, it's a combination of several factors. Not only is it a series that I have personal affection for, but it's also a series helmed by John Cho, like an Asian American man who like, you know, so there's <sighs> also the, that layered rep switch, which is like, yeah, you, we have John Cho, who's a great actor, um, you know, getting his chance to play like this is probably akin to him playing like a superhero, like a, a major Marvel superhero. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this is a character that He's is beloved much- mm-hmm. by like a whole fan of fandom of a genre. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, it's a space show, so it's also susceptible to is the CG good? Are the space battles believable? <laughs> is the world building going to be good? There's yeah. so much. Yeah. It's and, a very ambitious project. There's a reason why this this project itself has been like in development for over like two decades. Right? They needed to get it right. Yeah. So, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So. I remember when they were saying Keanu Reeves was going to play Spike. I mean, if it's been in development that long, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then they were, no, Keanu is too old now. Yeah. Now he's too and old. And then they cast John Cho. Uh, I don't but know. I mean, look. <laughs> I, I think know. there's yeah. Anyway, going yeah. on, moving on, moving on. <laughs> Anyways, uh, um, do we have one more, or is that it? That's it. Okay. Well, we did yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. With that, um, Han, thank you once again for joining me for another edition of Do We Want This? Yeah. Lots of lots of stuff coming by the end of the year. I'm really, really. You know, I think this uh, this is something I was discussing with a friend of mine. Where um, while COVID meant that a lot of places were bringing in their international shows that they hadn't brought out for a while because it's like, mm-hmm. hey, you haven't seen it. It's new to you, but it's from 2019. <laughs> um, they COVID productions have caught up by now. They've either had to delay their production and they finally got back up or they um, they put in safety protocols um, or they figured out ways around things. So we are actually going to be entering into a, a, a period of some very good television in the next few months. So we're going to be busy and it's exciting. Very exciting. All right. Well, Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts on pop culture and media, where can they go? They can find me on Twitter, currently tweeting TCA Press Tour uh, at Anonymous. And you can find me at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. Um, we are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. You can check out our fellow Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Join us next week as we take a look at Sandra O's new Netflix comedy, The Chair. But until then, um, thanks for listening to Good Pop, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.